Hello, and welcome to another episode of Nostalgic Mystery Radio. I'm your host, Stevie Kay, and it's my honor to bring you the radio shows of yesteryear. For this episode, I bring you BBC's dramatization of The Hound of the Baskervilles, where the Baker Street sleuth, Sherlock Holmes, probes an ancient curse stalking a noble family on Dartmoor. This will be a two-part series. So sit back and relax, and I hope you enjoy this Nostalgic Mystery Radio. Thank you for listening. Learn now, my sons, the tale of the coming of the Hound of the Baskervilles. In the time of the Great Rebellion of 1641, the manor of Baskerville in the county of Devonshire was held by Hugo of that name, a most wild, profane, and godless man. Quiet! One Michaelmas, this Hugo stole down upon a local farm and carried off her young maiden to Baskerville Hall. I think it's found its voice. Bastard! Bastard! And I'll be back for you later. Once you've learned some respect for your betters. In the stress of her fear, the maiden did that which might have daunted the bravest of men. Climbed down from the window of the chamber and ran homeward through the black night across the great dart moor. When Sir Hugo discovered the cage empty and the bird escaped, he became as one that hath a devil. Release the hound! No! You'll never catch her in this. May the hounds of hell take me if I can't. My horse! The revelers stood agape, but at length some sense came to their crazed minds, and the whole of them, thirteen in number, started in pursuit. The men came at length to a broad space ringed round with great stones set there in days of old. In the centre lay the unhappy maid, dead of fear and fatigue. Not an arm's length away, still and silent, lay the body of Sir Hugo. The men stayed their horses, frozen deep in terror at the unspeakable sight before them. But it was not the mortal remains which raised the hair upon their heads. The Hound of the Baskervilles by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle 
with Clive Medicine as Sherlock Holmes and Michael Williams as Dr. John Watson, Judy Dench as Mrs. Hudson, and Donald Sindon as Sir Charles Baskerville. Episode 1, The Powers of Evil. To James Mortimer, M-R-C-S. Member of the Royal College of Surgeons. I do know what it means, Holmes. Of course you do. He's a doctor... Brilliant, Watson. ...of the old school. Ah. Who has a country practice and does most of his visiting on foot. Because? This is exactly the sort of old-fashioned walking stick that a successful elderly man would own. And it's only five years old. But look at the state it's in. It could never have got so knocked about in time. Perfectly sound. Now, this inscription, to James Mortimer, M.R.C.S., from his friends of the C.C.H., September 1884. Hmm, C.C.H. I'd say that's the something or other hunt, the local hunt. So, an elderly doctor, but still active, with a practice in the country and an interest in outdoor sports. Watson, you may not be luminous, but you're an excellent conductor of light. What on earth is that supposed to mean? May I have the stick? You're saying that my mistakes point you towards the truth. Very kind of you. Here. Thank you. You're welcome. Mm. Mm. (laughs) Interesting. Though, uh... Elementary. Elementary. There stood a foul thing... A great black beast it was, shaped like a hound, yet larger than any hound that ever mortal eye has rested upon. Its body glowed with a flickering glare, and the flames of hell burst from its open mouth. Well, go on, then. Dazzle me. Hmm. Well, the man's certainly a country doctor, and he walks a good deal. And I was right. Yes, to that extent. But I'm afraid your grave old family practitioner vanishes into thin air. Oh? Oh, Yes, no doubt about it. The gentleman we missed last night's a young fellow under 30, amiable, unambitious, absent-minded, and the possessor of a favourite dog, larger than a terrier and smaller than a mastiff. Even as they looked, the thing tore the throat out of Hugo Baskerville. Then it turned its blazing eyes and dripping jaws upon them. One man died that night of what he had seen, and the rest were but broken men for the rest of their days. Such is the tale of the coming of that demon which has plagued this family so sorely ever since. For know, my sons, that many of our line have been unhappy in their ends, which have been most sudden, bloody, and mysterious, and heralded always by the appearance of the hound. Fear then this spirit, and seek not to hear its cry, for it summons a man of Hugo's blood to his death.
A dog. Hmm. No doubt about it. You can just see the teeth marks where he sometimes carries the stick behind his master. Well, what about all the rest? Amiable. He has friends. He was given a testimonial. Unambitious. He prefers the countryside to the capital. Absent-minded. Oh, think, Watson. He left us his stick. Mm, but not his visiting card. Mm. <laughs> All right, I'll grant you the absent-minded. But not the rest. Whatever happened to Good Heavens, Holmes, that's amazing. Oh, please. You're confusing me with that chap in the Strand magazine. <laughs> <laughs> you find this amusing, Doctor? Well, it does seem somewhat fanciful. Sir Charles... Why are you reading me this? This tale has been passed down from father to son for generations. Do you think we'd have done that if we didn't take it seriously? Forgive me, I didn't mean to be rude. Oh, you're young. You think you know everything. When you don't, sir, you don't. <clears throat> have you heard what the local people are saying? You surely don't believe such nonsense. Then you have heard. I have, and I pay it no heed. And neither should you. You're a newcomer, Doctor but my family have lived on the moor for centuries. I know the place. I know the people. And if they're saying it, then it's true. The hound has returned. You've got it! Oh, I had no idea where I'd left it. I'm so very glad. I wouldn't lose that stick for the world. A gift, I see. Yes. From Charing Cross Hospital. Well, yes. Much more likely than a hunt for a presentation to a doctor. Pure luck. And given to you when you left the hospital to go into practice on your own. That's absolutely correct. Hmm. No one long established would make such a move, therefore under 30. Hmm? Simplicity itself. But enough of our little games. Sit down, Dr Mortimer, and tell us why you've forsaken your clean air and your healthy walks to consult a specialist in crime. The trap will be round in a moment, Sir Charles. Thank you, Baddemore. Gentlemen. Sir Charles, this nervous depression is a symptom of your condition, nothing more. Believe that, if it makes you more comfortable, Doctor. It's your comfort I'm concerned with, sir. Nothing can be done for me now. That's unscientific nonsense. Look out there, my friend. The moor is not just hills and lakes and trees and rocks. It's alive. It's a living being. It was there before man, and it'll still be there when we are gone and forgotten. It has moods and desires and secrets that your science can only guess at. Sir Charles... It's out there now, Mortimer, waiting. Waiting for me. This manuscript... Early 18th century, unless it's a forgery. The exact date is 1742. Uh, it's a statement of an old family legend. Come to consult me about a legend? No, sir. I've come on a very modern, practical matter. But this manuscript is intimately connected with it, and so, with your permission, I'll read it to you. If you must. All right, all right! Perkins, what's wrong? Oh, doctor, Mr Barrymore says, can you come straight away? 
Barrymore? What's happened? For God's sake, man, why have you sent for me? Is Master all right, Mr. Barrymore? Get on with your duties. This way, Doctor. Barrymore, wait! Where are we going? The old yew alley that leads out onto the moor. Fear then this spirit and seek not to hear its cry, for it summons a man of Hugo's blood to his death. Therefore take heed and remember always this. Forbear from crossing the moor in those dark hours when the powers of evil are exalted. Well? Do you find it interesting? Uh, to a collector of fairy tales. Then I'll offer you something more recent. This is from the Devon County Chronicle. On the night of the 4th of June, Sir Charles went out to take a walk in the yew alley behind Baskerville Hall. He did not return. Doctor! Here! All right, Mrs. Barrymore. Try to stay calm. Oh, yes. Oh, thank God you've come. That's enough, Eliza. What happened? I found him here, Doctor. Sent for you straight away. Did you examine him? Didn't need to. Hold my bag. Rest in peace, my friend. Hmm. <clears throat> Watson. <clears throat> Thank you. That article contains all the public facts. And pray, let me have the private ones. Barrymore, give me a hand to turn him over. Doctor. <gasps> His face. The features were hideously distorted, almost unrecognisable. But you testified to the coroner that he had a weak heart and a history of dyspnea. I would have expected a certain amount of muscular contraction. Not like this. You didn't see it. Nor the way he was lying. Face down, arms out, fingers dug into the ground. And there were no marks on the body? None. All this was said at the inquest. But this wasn't. I withheld this information. Indeed. Sir Charles was a great local benefactor. It's vital that his heir should take up residence and continue the good work. So I told rather less than I knew. Hmm. Uh, go on. While Barrymore was arranging for the body to be taken in, I had a chance to look around. The night had been wet, and I could easily follow Sir Charles's footsteps. Halfway down the alley, there's a gate that leads out onto the open moor. He had stopped there for some five or ten minutes. How do you know? Because the ash had dropped several times from his cigar. Very good. When he moved on, there was a curious change in his footprints. He appeared to be walking on tiptoe. On his toes? My God. Doctor, is everything all right? Yes, yes. Uh, I'll be there in a moment. Dear God. Were there any marks on the ground near the body? Yes. Yes, there were. Some little distance off, still fresh and clear. <sighs> Footprints? Footprints. A man's or a woman's? 
Mr. Holmes, they were the footprints of a gigantic hound. You saw this? As clearly as I see you. Are there any sheepdogs on the moor? This was no sheepdog. It was enormous. Had it approached the body? No. Was the gate of the moor closed? And padlocked. How high is it? About four feet. What marks did you see by the gate? None in particular. You should have called me in at the time. I'd read the whole story in that path. Perhaps. What do you mean? Well... You're surely not telling us his death was supernatural. For some weeks, people had been seeing a creature on the moor. They all agreed that it was huge and glowing, exactly like the hellhound of the legend. Well, if you believe that, then why have you come to consult me at all? You asked me to investigate Sir Charles's death and then tell me he was, he was killed by a ghost? I haven't asked you to investigate Sir Charles's death. Then why did you come here? Because I need your advice. Sir Henry Baskerville arrives from America in uh, exactly an hour and a quarter. Is he the heir? The sole heir. The last of the line. And whether you believe it or not, I think he may be in deadly danger. Mr Holmes, what should I do? When the night wind howls in the chimney cowls and black dogs bay at the moon, then is the ghost I know. <laughs> Dr. Watson? <laughs> Good evening, Mrs. Hudson. May I have a word with you, please? Oh, dear. What's he done now? Oh, it's the usual thing. It's the smell, Doctor. It gets everywhere. Wouldn't be so bad if he'd only open a window. It can't be good for him. All right, Mrs Hudson. I'll deal with it. Oh, Mrs Hudson, the gentleman who called today will be coming back tomorrow morning and bringing Sir Henry Baskerville with him. <sighs> Ten o'clock. Well, I hope they're both fit and well. They'll need to be. I'll see what I can do. Holmes? Good Lord. You caught a cold, Watson? A cold? It's this poisonous atmosphere. What the devil is it that you put in that pipe? You've been at your club all day. <laughs> oh, please, Holmes. Yes, well, I suppose it is pretty thick now that you come to mention it. Thick? It's intolerable. Mrs Hudson is about to throw us out. Really? Really. Couldn't you have let in some air? A concentrated atmosphere helps me to concentrate. Isn't that interesting? Fascinating. Perhaps I should take it to his logical conclusion and get into a box to think. An excellent yeah. idea. I'll order you one in the morning. Mm, thank you, thank you. Now, have you quite finished trying to reform me, Doctor? Yes, for the present. Mm? Well, come and have a look at this. Mm. Dartmoor? Yes, I sent out for it. There. Mm, Baskerville Hall. It's very isolated. Apart from the prison. Yeah. There's nothing inside five miles but a couple of farms and a few houses. The excellent Devon County Chronicle provides a useful list of the local residents. Here, I marked them for you. Mm -hmm. Arthur Franklin, retired. Mm, Laughter Hall. Jonathan Stapleton, the noted naturalist. Mm, and his sister. They're at Merripit House. And Mortimer himself. There. Mm, yeah. uh, must be a wild and lonely place. Yes. Yes, the settings a worthy one. 
Now, the devil did decide to meddle in the affairs of men. Oh, surely you're not going over to the supernaturalists, too. Well, the devil's agents can be flesh and blood. Do you think Mortimer will do as you asked and not mention this hound nonsense to Sir Henry? Ah, uh, I believe so. He seems extremely anxious to establish the young man in Devonshire. You think that's suspicious? Have you given it any thought? Yes. Hmm? What do you make of it? The footprints. Mortimer said that Sir Charles walked on tiptoe half the length of the alley. Now, why should the man tiptoe? He was running. He was running. He was running for his life. Mr. Sherlock Holmes. Good morning. And Dr. John H. Watson. I'm very glad to meet you, sir. Sir Henry? Sir Henry. I don't think I'm ever going to get used to that. I've enjoyed your stories no end, Doctor. Oh, very kind of you. Oh, I mean it. And you know, it's a funny thing. If Mortimer here hadn't brought me round to you this morning, I might well have come on my own. I've got a little puzzle for you, Mr. Holmes. Indeed. Sir Henry's had a rather disturbing letter. Oh, I, I wouldn't call it disturbing. It's just some kind of damn fool prank. Hmm. May I see it? Sure. Hmm. Thank you. Sir Henry Baskerville, Northumberland Hotel, posted in Charing Cross yesterday evening. Who knew you were staying at the Northumberland? No one. That's the puzzle. Fascinating. Hmm. Mm -hmm. Watson? As you value your life or your reason, keep away from them more. Hmm. Words cut out of a newspaper. And anonymous, of course. Here. Mm. Thank you. I think we can draw a few conclusions about the sender. We can? Hmm. He's an educated man who wanted to hide his intelligence. He's almost certainly staying in a cheap hotel, but possibly not alone. And, of course, you know him, Sir Henry, or soon will. Dr. Watson doesn't exaggerate your powers, Mr. Holmes. Oh, you'll find that paper and envelope in a hundred low-grade hotels. The message was put together hurriedly and clumsily. He was afraid of being interrupted, so he didn't have a room to himself. The address is scrawled in capitals, but the message uses words cut from the Times, not a paper you'll find in the hands of the illiterate. But how can you say that Sir Henry knows the man? <laughs> Why else disguise his writing? Mm. Hello, what's this? What? Hmm. Oh, nothing. Uh, Sir Henry, has anything else happened to you since you arrived in London? Why, no. Have you noticed anyone following you or watching you? <laughs> I seem to have walked right into a dime novel. Look, I want to know what's going on here. Mortimer won't tell me a damned thing. He was acting on my advice. Well, I'm tired of everyone knowing more about my affairs than I do. Then I suggest that the two of you return to the Northumberland and go over the whole business. Watson and I will join you for lunch and you can give us your reactions. What do you say? They're stopping again. No one else is. I was certain... Oh, fool! What? I've been looking for someone treading them on foot. You see that cab? Which cab? Oh, there they go. Ah, the one just starting off again. That's our man. I can't see inside. Can we get closer? Of course we can. He won't be looking behind him. Look, come on. Wait. What is it? He's seen us. Oh, damn. Driver, up there! What made him look this way? Damn and blast the man. 
Did you see his face? Dark glasses and a black beard. Mm, that was probably false. Oh, damn, 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 damn. It was just bad luck. Oh, bad management, more like. Of all the blundering fools. What a pity we didn't get the number of the cab. Do you seriously imagine I neglected that? Number 2704. And we can speak to the cabbie. We've got something. Blundering fool. Sir Henry. Don't you Sir Henry me, man. Just what kind of a place are you running here? If you would just step into my office... Oh, I'm not stepping anywhere. I want my property back, and quickly, too. Of course, Sir Henry. I'll see to it personally. Oh, you damn well better. Personally. Johnston, come here. Having some bother, Sir Henry? Oh, hello, Doctor. We, um, couldn't help overhearing, I'm afraid. Uh, I guess the whole place heard me. Uh, Mr. Holmes. Something's been stolen? Lost, more like. Uh, just one of my boots. You've lost a boot? Oh, brand new, too. Never been worn. It cost me six dollars. It'll turn up. I, I, I should have gotten steamed up about it. Gentlemen, our table's ready. Excellent. And after lunch, Watson can entertain us with the adventure of the informative cabbie. It was the purest luck. We marched into the cab office to ask about 2704, and there the man was, coming off his shift, Roberts. Rough-looking sort of chap, Welsh. And the fellow said, I've driven my cab these seven years and not a word of complaint. <laughs> he seemed to think I was trying to have him dismissed. <laughs> he changed his tune when we offered him half a sovereign, though. Well, I've had a good day and no mistake. <laughs> <laughs> and Holmes said, now, my good fellow, Tell me all about the fair who followed the two gentlemen down Regent Street this morning. Well, sir, you told me he was a detective. A detective? That's right, sir. And I've heard of him, too. His name was... <laughs> Mr. Sherlock Holmes. The cunning rascal. Are you sure he was following us? Quite sure. But why? We have to assume he means you some harm. What could he do in the middle of London? Surrounded by witnesses. Dr. Mortimer, do any of your neighbours on Dartmoor have a full black beard? Why, yes. Uh, Barrymore, Sir Charles's butler. Roberts described his fare as um, perhaps 40 year of age or more, middle height and dressed like a toff. Well, that's rather vague. I suppose it could be Barrymore. Where is he at the moment? Well, Dartmoor. He's in charge at Baskerville Hall. Yeah, we must find out if he really is there. How can you do that? By sending a telegram to be delivered into his hands only. Uh, is all ready for Sir Henry, please reply at once, or some such. Yeah, that should let us know by this evening. Did he profit at all by Sir Charles's will? Barrymore and his wife had £500 each. Did they know about that in advance? Oh, yes. Interesting. I hope you don't suspect everyone who was in the will. Sir Charles left £1,000 to me. Tell me about the family. You describe Sir Henry here as the last of the line. And so he is. There were three brothers, Mr. Holmes. My father was the eldest, then Uncle Charles and Uncle Roger. They're all three dead now. My father was the only one who ever married. And if anything were to happen to you? No idea. The title and the estate passed to a distant cousin, uh, the Reverend James Desmond. He's 86 and practically bedridden. Well, Sir Henry, now you know the whole story, what have you decided? Mr. Holmes, my people have lived at Baskerville Hall for centuries. There's no devil in hell and no man on earth going to stop me from doing the same. Excellent. 
I plan to go down there as soon as possible and carry on my uncle's work. Well said, Sir Henry. You mustn't go alone. I'll be travelling with him. But you have your practice to attend to, and your house is miles from the hall. You really think I'm in some kind of danger? Yes, I do. It's kind of hard to believe. You must take a trusty man who will always be at your side. Well, could you come yourself, Mr. Holmes? I'm in the middle of a case, blackmail, I have to say, in London. Oh. Then who would you recommend? Are you armed? Yes, I thought it best. Good. Never relax your guard. Now remember, the neighbors... The district, anything new on Sir Charles's death. And whatever else seems relevant, but do try to curb your romantic streak. You're not writing it up for the Strand. Not yet. Well, maybe not at all. We can't achieve a happy ending. You really think that's likely? This is an ugly business, Watson. An ugly, dangerous business. I give you my word. I'll be very glad to see you back safe and sound in Baker Street. Holmes... Ah, here they come. Good morning. Morning. Were you followed to the station? No, I'd swear to it. And Mr. Sherlock Holmes has given up the chase. I beg you to take this more seriously. Sorry. Have the two of you always kept together? Except for a couple of hours yesterday afternoon. I went to the College of Surgeons. And I had a stroll round Hyde Park. Alone? Well, yes. That was very imprudent of you. I didn't run into any trouble. You were lucky. Mr. Holmes, this arrived yesterday evening. Everything prepared for Sir Henry Barrymore Baskerville Hall. Well, I suppose it was a long shot. And that's not the only bit of news. But something else has happened. Take a look. You found your boot. And lost a different one. Not at the hotel. From my own room. Vanishing boots seem to be the specialty of the house. I'm only sorry I recommended the place. Forget it. It was pretty beat up anyhow. Not quite the thing for the Lord of the Manor, I guess. <laughs> well, Mr. Holmes, any last instructions? Yes. I want you to remember one thing. What's that? The words of the old legend. Keep away from the moor in the hours of darkness when the powers of evil are exalted. <laughs> Here for a moment, please. Sir. Something wrong, Sir Henry? Not a thing. I just wanted to take it all in. That's fantastic. Ah, I never knew a Devonshire man who didn't swear by his country. A Devonshire man? We lived in a cottage in Kent when I was a boy. I went straight from there to America when my parents died. This is the first time I've ever set eyes on the moor. Ah, but the Baskervilles have held sway here for centuries. It's in your blood. I'm not going to argue with that. <laughs> Are those buildings, Mortimer? Ruins. Old stone huts and monoliths. Uh, prehistoric, mostly. Prehistoric. That's wonderful. Once you're settled in, you should go and look at some of them. It's like 
stepping backwards in time. I'll do that. But please, not alone. I've not forgotten my instructions, Doctor. It'll be dark soon. Forgive me, Sir Henry, but we ought to be getting on. Well, I guess I've got the whole rest of my life to look at it. Drive on, Perkins. Sir? Stay exactly where you are. Your names, please. Just what the hell do you think you... Your names, please. We are Doctors Watson and Mortimer. And this gentleman is Sir Henry Baskerville, the new master of this estate. Sir Henry, gentlemen. Good afternoon, Sergeant. Sergeant uh, Cottrell, sir. Second Devon Volunteers. Uh, what's this all about, Sergeant? Prisoner escaped, sir, three days back. We've got men out right across the moor. All of them armed? Yes, sir. We're taking no chances. Gentlemen. Did you know about this, Perkins? Well, everyone knows, sir. Folks are locking their doors. It's Selden, sir. Selden? You know him, Doctor. Of him? Selden, the Notting Hill murderer. Butchered an entire family. Dreadful business. I thought you hanged people like that. There were doubts about his sanity. Well, sane or not, I don't think much of his chances if he's living rough out there somewhere. It's beautiful, but... That wind's coming up. You're right. Okay, Perkins, let's go. Sir, on there. Welcome, Sir Henry. Welcome to Baskerville Hall. I'm pleased to be here, Barrymore. This is Dr. Watson. Doctor? My wife, gentlemen. Good evening, Sir Henry. Doctor, everything's ready for you. Great. You'll stay for dinner, Mortimer. No, I must go. There'll be work waiting for me. And in any case, Barrymore can show you the hall far better than I could. Well, if you're sure. Don't hesitate to send for me if you need me. I'll remember. Thanks for everything. Bye. Goodbye. Don't forget, day or night... Won't you come inside, gentlemen? Not just yet. There's something I want to see first. All right, Barrymore. We'll find our own way back. Sir Henry. So... This is where it happened. Yes. He waited here. He must have been looking out across the open country. As you value your life or your reason, keep away from the moor. Do you really think I'm in danger here? Holmes thinks so. I want to know what you think. I don't know what's happening. Not yet. But something's going on. And whatever I can do to see you through it, I shall. In London, I thought it was all nonsense. Now. No wonder my uncle felt so uneasy all the time. This place is enough to scare any man. I'll have a row of electric lamps up here inside of six months, and you won't know it again. Oh, come on. Let's go in. Perhaps things will look more cheerful in the morning.
My dear Holmes, we encountered no trouble on the journey down, which I spent becoming better acquainted with my two companions. Mortimer turns out to be something of an amateur anthropologist with a particular penchant for skulls. You'll be fascinated to know that he thought yours of great interest and deeply regrets that he can't immediately add it to his collection. But I detect the words facts, Watson, facts forming on your lips. So, facts. We arrived here at dusk. Baskerville Hall is gloomy and forbidding, and the surrounding landscape is like something out of a fantastic dream. The Barrymores are distant and reserved. Sir Henry seems understandably subdued. Tomorrow I shall begin to follow your instructions and start gathering information. For the present, I wish you good night. this place. Have you ever seen such a difference in a room? There's nothing quite like sunlight through stained glass. That panelling's glowing like bronze. Last night... Uh... Go on, say it. I won't be offended. Last night was like eating dinner in a mausoleum, complete with pictures of the inhabitants. Well, your ancestors don't seem quite so disapproving this morning. Most of them, at least. <laughs> Help yourself to breakfast. Ah. There's enough for a regiment. Is the food not satisfactory, Sir Henry? Good morning, Barrymore. Sir? Doctor? If the food isn't to your liking, sir... Uh, the food is fine. Please thank your wife. Very good, sir. If you'll excuse me. Just a moment, Barrymore. Doctor? Did you hear a woman crying during the night? You heard that too? I thought I must have been dreaming. I heard it. What about you, Barrymore? Well, man? My wife is the only woman in the house, Sir Henry. The sound could not have come from her. Will that be all? Yes, you can go. Sir Henry. What do you make of him? I don't know yet. But he certainly could have been the man in the cab. I must check about that telegram. I'm certain I heard that crying. You did. Grimpin is about a four-mile walk, sir. Just follow the path. You can't miss the post office. It's the village shop as well. Thank you, Mrs. Barrymore. My husband will wait for you in the library, Sir Henry. Right. I wish I could join you, Doctor, but I've got enough paperwork to go through to last me a week. Say hello to Mortimer for me, if you see him. I will. And please remember... I know. No wandering off on my own. I'm none too certain I should leave you alone at all. I can look after myself. You go and cross-examine the postmaster. Well, yes, sir. I remember the telegram very well, sir. To be given into Mr. Barrymore's own hands. 
My boy James took it to the hall straight away. And he gave it to Barrymore personally? He gave it to Mrs. Barrymore, sir. Old John was up in the loft. How do you know that? Well, Mrs. Barrymore said so. So your boy didn't actually see him at all? Well, no. Then how do you know he was really there? Well, surely his own wife ought to know where he is. Didn't he get the telegram? Is there some sort of complaint? No, no complaint. I want to send a wire to London. Oh, here you are, sir. Thank you. Good morning, Dr. Watson. Uh, uh, Good morning. Forgive me. I didn't mean to startle you. We're homely folk here on the moor. We don't wait for formal introductions. I'm Stapleton. Stapleton of Merry Pitt House. The naturalist. Uh, yes. Well, entomologist, principally. I'm delighted to meet you. How did you know who I was? My friend, Dr Mortimer, described you to me. How's Sir Henry? None the worse for the journey, I hope. Ah, he's well, thank you. Good, good. I was afraid that he might refuse to come down and bury himself here. Why should he do that? He's a wealthy man. He could live wherever he pleased. This is his family home. And he wasn't put off by the dreadful legend. Splendid. Oh, but perhaps you don't know about that. I've heard of it. And has Mr Sherlock Holmes? I beg your pardon? Come now, Dr Watson. We know about you, even in this backwater. And if you're here, it's obvious that Sherlock Holmes is interesting himself in our little community. I'm afraid I can't comment on that. Oh, very right. And proper. I I shouldn't have asked. My apologies. No offence, I hope. None in the least. Oh, good. Good. Thank you. Please don't mention it. Now, if you'll excuse me. Oh, of course. Of course. Forgive me. Welcome to the moor. Thank you. What? Go back. Go straight back to London. At once. Who are you? For God's sake, do what I say. Get away from the moor at all costs. Go back to London while there's still time. But why? What's the danger? You're Miss Stapleton. Hello again. Hello. I was pursuing a Cyclopides, and I heard your voices. You've introduced yourselves, I see. Yes. I was just telling Sir Henry... No, 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 no. I'm not Sir Henry. What? Dr. John Watson, at your service. Then we've been talking at cross-purposes. You hardly had time for talk. It was a foolish misunderstanding, Jack. Forgive me, Dr. Watson. Of course, but... Come along, Beryl. Dr. Watson's in a hurry. We mustn't detain him. No, please, don't rush away. Beryl. I must. I'm sorry. Forget what I said. Forget it. How can I? Beryl, come along. You must. Please. Good God. What was that? The peasants say it's the phantom hound. The hound of the Baskervilles. That was the weirdest thing I've ever heard in my life. Oh, it's the mud settling or the water rising or something. Queer place. The moor. Please, come in. Good walk? I'm not interrupting. Uh, Yes, you are. And very welcome it is, too. Uh, I'm not cut out for all this paperwork. Did you run into Mortimer? No, but I met the Stapletons. The bug hunter and his sister. What are they like? He's a rather nervous sort. Jittery. Hmm. What about her? Well? She is one of the most beautiful women I've ever seen. You don't say? Oh, yes. And what's more, she mistook me for you. Well, we can't have that. 
I'll have to arrange for her to meet the real thing, and as soon as possible. <laughs> it sounds wonderful. Yes, indeed. Oh, America's a rare country, but I'm a Devonshire man at heart. I'm delighted to hear it. We need a Baskerville at the hall. Is it the countryside that attracts you, or the people? Oh, definitely both. That's good. <laughs> Stapleton's right. It's good to have you here. Thank you, Mr. Franklin. I hope you'll exercise a firm hand. The local people will respect you for it. Mr. Franklin is a great believer in the power of authority, Sir Henry. What I believe in is the law. Mr. Franklin is our local expert. Ah, you're a lawyer, sir. No, sir. Never made a penny profit from the law in my life. Only took it up once I retired. Must be an interesting hobby. It's not a hobby at all. Astronomy is my hobby. I watch the stars for pleasure. I study the law because I must. Because you must? Someone's got to put a stop to things. Too many people these days seem to think they can carry on exactly as they like. Don't you agree, Watson? That's certainly true of London. I don't know about down here. They have to be shown what's right and what's wrong. How many cases have you got on at the moment, Franklin? Cases? Mr Franklin delights in litigation. Is it six or seven, Mr Franklin? Seven, Miss Stapleton. Seven. Good Lord. What sort of cases do you bring? Anything you care to name, sir. And on either side, I don't much care. I closed three footpaths last month, then sued the local ramblers for trespass. Back in March, I forced old Widden to pull down his barn because he'd built it over a public right-of-way. Either side, don't much care, so long as I'm upholding the law. Well, I suppose that's commendable. I'd advise you to watch your steps, Sir Henry. I beg your pardon? No one's above the law, sir, not even the lord of the manor. I watched your uncle, and I'm watching you. Believe me. I do believe you. Thanks for the warning. And as for you, Mortimer, if you dig up any more skulls from that Barrowon long down, I'll have you for opening a grave without the permission of the next of kin. <laughs> what do you think of our county, Dr Watson? The moor is astonishing. I think it affects everything on it and around it. That sounds rather sinister. No, that's not what I meant. It has charm as well as mystery. And beauty, too. Well, I, for one, will happily drink to the beauty of the moor. The beauty, the beauty of, of the, the, beauty the moor. <clears throat> You're quite right, Sir Henry. It is a wonderful place. So vast and barren. And rarely what it seems. How's that? Well, for instance, you've seen that great flat plain off to the north? Oh, yes, of course. Rare place for a gallop. I don't advise you to try it, sir. Not if you value your life. What do you mean? That plain is the great Grimpen Mire. It's a maze of marsh and quicksand. Oh, good Lord. It's bad enough in the summer, but with all these autumn rains, mm. one false step means death. Oh, I've had some rare specimens from there. You braved it, then? Many times. I'll try my luck at it someday. For God's sake, don't do it. Your blood would be on my head. You must know the moor very well, Stapleton. I flatter myself that I do. So you've been here a long time? Barely three years. The locals call us newcomers. Ah. Where did you live before? In the north. I ran a school. Just a small, private place. Why did you give it up? There was an epidemic. 
some of the boys didn't recover. It must have been dreadful for you. Yes. Yes, it was. I think we could do with some more wine. <clears throat> Barrymore, fetch a couple of more bottles, would you? Yes, sir. I must say, Sir Henry, how saddened we all were by your uncle's death. Yes, uh, indeed. Uh, thank you, Stapleton. All of you. I suppose it wasn't entirely unexpected. His heart, you mean? Yes. He didn't exactly help matters. Put himself under a lot of extra strain. Strain, Mr. Franklin? He means that poor old Sir Charles was worrying himself to death anyway. I'm sorry, Sir Henry, but it's true. Uh, the legend, yes, uh, I know. Well, he was an old man. He lived alone. He had some strange notions. Many of the local people believe in the Hound. You shouldn't ignore them. Beryl. Miss Stapleton is right. You shouldn't ignore the story. Oh, come on, Mortimer. I can't just brush it aside, Sir Henry. Seen it yourself, have you, Mortimer? <laughs> yes. I have. What? It was just a few days before he died. I was attending your uncle here at the hall. It was dark when I left, and he came with me to the door. Suddenly, he stared past me. The look in his eyes. I turned round. And? And I saw it. Huge and black and glowing. And then it was gone. Poppycock! Begging your pardon, Miss Stapleton. Franklin's right. It must have been a sheepdog or a wild calf wandered in from the open moor. I know what I saw. Why didn't you mention this in London? Would you have believed me then? Any more than you believe me now? I believe you. Beryl. This moor's a horrible place. There are terrible things here. That's enough, Beryl. You'll be scaring Sir Henry away. Oh, there's no danger of that. Good shot, Doctor. Oh, this is no contest, I'm afraid. Oh. Mm, hard luck. Luck has nothing to do with it. I know when I'm outmatched. It's been quite an evening. I really don't know what to make of Mortimer. No. Maybe he'd just been around my uncle too long. Some of the old boy's ideas were starting to rub off. We mustn't let this nonsense about the hound blind us to the other business. You still think I'm in some kind of danger? We've been here a week and nothing's happened. You were followed in London. You were sent a threatening letter. Something is happening. You see? Outmatched. Thank you. Tell me something. What, Sir Henry? Sir Henry. Look, just give me your opinion. Man to man. What about you? Oh, come on, Watson. What did you think of her? <laughs> what? I thought your mind wasn't on the game. Brilliant deduction. <laughs> it can't be much of a life for her down here. I wonder if she's lonely. This is a godforsaken part of the world. 
When you go out onto the moor, you leave all traces of modern England behind you, and you're conscious everywhere of the forgotten folk, the prehistoric people who once lived and worked and played here. On all sides as you walk are their graves, the ruins of their houses, and the huge monoliths which mark their temples. As the place fills your heart and your mind, its vastness and grim charm take hold of you, and you leave your own age far behind. I have to report that Sir Henry begins to display a considerable interest in our fair neighbour. It's not to be wondered at, for time here hangs heavily for an active man like him, and she is a very fascinating and beautiful woman. The match would be a fine and fitting one, but a romance would surely add to all our other complications. The Barrymores continue to puzzle me. Sir Henry tackled the butler on the subject of the telegram, and his story agreed with the postmasters in every particular, but there is something singular and questionable in the man's character, and I'm convinced that he's telling us far less than he knows. More than once, I've observed him roaming the corridors at night. I picture him bent on some sinister, secret mission of which we know nothing, which you, no doubt, will dismiss as my romantic imagination. Nevertheless, I am... Don't move a muscle. What? And when I take my hand away, don't make a sound. Understand? All right. Okay. What the devil? Quiet, for God's sake. What's going on? Come with me. Look round this corner. Far end of the corridor. Barrymore. Yes. What's he up to? I don't know. But he's being damn secretive about it. What do you want to do? Barrymore? Uh, Sir Henry? Just what are you playing at? Uh, nothing, Sir Henry. Checking the window, that's all. I go round every night to see that they're fastened. On the second floor? Yes, sir. All the windows. Give me the candlestick, Barrymore. Sir Henry? Do as you're told. Yes, sir. Right. Now, let's see. Watson? I thought so. Look, out on the moor. Another light? Well, it's nothing, sir. Nothing at all. Nothing, is it? Move your candle again, Watson. There! Someone's signaling the house. What the hell's happening, Barrymore? I... I have nothing to say, sir. We'll see about that later. Watson, are you with me? What do you mean? I'm going out there. God only knows what Holmes would say about this. Come on. We can clear this whole thing up, here and now. Well, for heaven's sake, stay close to me. We must be nearly there. There's the light. Yes. Can you see anyone? Not yet. Great God. What was that? I don't know. Just a sound they have on the moor. Watson, what do the local people call it? Tell me. They say it's the cry of the hound of the Baskervilles. Summoning a man of Hugo's blood to his death.
In episode one of The Hound of the Baskervilles by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, Sherlock Holmes was played by Clive Madison and Dr. Watson by Michael Williams. Mrs. Hudson, Judy Dench, Sir Charles Baskerville, Donald Sindon, Sir Henry Baskerville, Mark Leake, Dr. Mortimer, Roger May. Stapleton, Ian Masters, Beryl, Rachel Atkins, Barrymore, Don McCorkindale, Mrs. Barrymore, Jenny Lee, Frankland, John Woodnut. Perkins, Ewan Thomas, the postmaster, Brian Parr, the girl, Nicole Forbes, the soldier, Simon Hanna, the cabbie, James Harrison, the man in the legend, Jamie Harden. Other parts were played by members of the cast. The violinist was Ian Humphreys. The music was arranged by Michael Haslam, who also played the piano. The Hound of the Baskervilles is dramatised for radio by Bert Cools and directed by Enid Williams. Radio presentation. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please feel free to like and rate this podcast on your favorite app. Also, there's a Nostalgic Mystery Radio YouTube page for your perusal to subscribe to. You can contact me by emailing me at nostalgicmysteryradio at gmail.com. I hope you have a blessed day or evening, and again, thank you for listening. <laughs>